this one short text that very rarely gets preached is a glaring example of the high cost of true discipleship. In a few short verses, three times he says, if you do this or don't do this, you can't be mine. And Jesus, again, mega church following him, he says, look, I don't want you to, from a numerical standpoint, to go, things are going great. He's like, I want to make sure the motive of your heart is pure. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Fathers, we come before you with hearts that long for you, that ache for you. Father, I pray that you would move in our midst today in a, in a powerful way. On this glorious day that we celebrate, Lord, we ultimately celebrate you. And Father, my prayer is for me. And Father, my prayer is for each person here today that that we can truthfully declare and, and shout from the mountain that, oh Lord, I am no longer my own, but Yours. Fathers, we open Your Word. I pray that we would see the deep truth in that statement. I pray we would see the theology in that statement. God, I ask that You would show us that We can get set free today from any self-imposed prison. So Father, I pray by Your power, by Your Spirit, would You move, would You stir, would You shake like only You can, would You awaken, would You stir in my heart and each heart here today that we would be all in for Your glory, that we would be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that We'd be a people that's so in love with you that we're on mission for the mission. So God, by your power, by your Spirit, cultivate our hearts right now. Not to be stony, hardened hearts, but soft, tender hearts. Hearts that long for you and your glory and your truth and God, we know that when you gather a group of people together that live through testimony of life, that their lives are no longer their own. Lord, we know that the revival is in process. So God, raise up a mighty group today all over this room that would say, here I am, send me. I will go. I'll be the one to start the kindling of the revival. Oh, Father, we long for You. You're our treasure. You're our hope, our identity, and our security. Just not on Sunday, but every day that we live, it's You and nothing else that we crave. And so, Father, we give this time to You. Would You move Would you do something that only you can do in this moment? And we pray this all in the mighty, the matchless, the risen Savior's name do we pray. We pray this all in King Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 8 through 9, and the, the title of the message today is simply this, what is my faith producing? 
For you that are here in the room today and you are claiming to have given your life to Christ, and I pray that's everyone that's here today, and I pray it's real and true that uh, there has been that transfer of ownership of life, that if it's true, it's going to be producing something. If it's real, if your faith today is grounded in the royal righteous blood of Jesus Christ, if you are clinging your hope to His blessed hope and His glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, that faith that you have will be doing something. It's just too easy in our culture to live in cultural Christianity kind of what you do, and just kind of go along to get along. It's what we've done for years, you might say, and it's just easy to settle into neutral. And what we don't realize is when we settle into neutral, we've actually put her in reverse. Uh, we're either for Him or against Him. You can't settle into neutral. It's impossible. And yet here we are in this glorious text today that I pray we will prioritize what's important whether it be a mom, whether it be a dad. What we prioritize, our children typically will do the same. The opposite is equally true. What we minimize, our children will often do the same. And so we today want to hunker down, if you will. We want to focus on what's true. There is so much chaos going on in our world today. I don't have to tell you this. And I've had people ask me, well, why aren't you addressing this topic and this one and that subject matter? It's real simple. Let's focus on the gospel. Uh, Let's focus on what's true. Let's focus on what will set the captives free. If there's ever a time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up in this dark hour, oh, church, this should be our finest hour. And yet, if we're not focused on truth, we will walk in error. I pray today that as you ask yourself that question as we read and study, what is my faith producing? It really is the why behind what's going on in your faith, whether it's real, whether it's alive, or perhaps today your faith is actually dead. Here's what the Word of God says, 1 Peter 1, 8-9. Listen closely. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And what do you do? Rejoice, how church? With joy. That is what? Inexpressible and filled with glory. Now look at verse 9. Obtaining, very key word there, obtaining the outcome of your faith, your faith, my faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that in verses 6 and 7, which I'd encourage you to go up in your Bible and look at those two verses for context, you saw very clearly that we all face trials. There is not one person in this room that can truthfully say today that I am trial-free that I am pain-free, that I don't face any difficulties. We all, matter of fact, if we took time to go around this room today, we could probably spend hours or even perhaps days because multiple of us, multiple of us, so to speak, many of us, have varying trials that we're going through. Amen? Like right now, as I even say the word, you're probably going, you don't understand, preacher, I got a list. I mean, there's just so many trials in our life today. Life's hard. It's difficult. We live in a broken, fallen, depraved world. Welcome to planet earth. This is how this thing works. And 1 Peter right there in 6 and 7 from last week said it like this, in this, not apart from this, but in this, you do what? You rejoice. Though now for a little while... If necessary, temporary, needed, trials are, you have been grieved. You've been brought to great sorrow by these various trials. Why? Why? Well, there it is, so that. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which by the way is 
Your faith is more precious than gold. Gold perishes. It's tested by fire, but your faith is what matters. Your faith is working. Your faith is producing. And that's what it says there in that remaining part of verse 7, that it may be found, it may result in praise and glory and honor. What? At the revelation. At the revealing of King Jesus. What a day that's going to be, amen? Oh, we stand in the presence of the King. All the pain, all the suffering, all the persecution that you go through for being a believer in Christ, it's going to be worth it all on that day. There'll be no regrets. They'll be like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I gave my life to Jesus. I'm so glad that He did this work in my life, that I could be a living epistle. I could be a living testimony that those around me would not even see me. They would just see Christ in me, the hope of glory, as the Word of God dwells in me richly. That should be your testimony. You know, it's interesting when you look at verse 8. Peter shifts a bit here from that thought of, of trials, and I mean, he does expound here on that, but he makes this statement when he says there in your Bible in front of you, though you, what, have not seen him, past tense, you love him. Isn't that good? Like you don't see him, like you haven't seen him, past tense, but there's a love there. There is this love which means here in the original to love dearly and to love desperately. Have you ever, church, have you ever loved someone dearly and desperately? Has there ever been that connection, that koinonia fellowship with someone that you've loved so dearly and so desperately? How about I ask it this way? How do you typically treat someone who you claim to love dearly and love desperately? How do you typically treat that person that you claim to love dearly and desperately? So many people across our country even today would shout a hearty amen that I love Jesus dearly and desperately. But you stand back and you watch how they treat him. It doesn't appear to be a love that's dear and desperate. More out of a love of convenience. If I just kind of get around to you, Jesus, when I get in a jam, I'll be sure to let you know. Peter here, he's talking to believers. The sponge of their life is being wrung out. The screws are being tightened. The ratchet is ratcheting up by the moment. He says here out of the gate, you got an inheritance. It's waiting for you. It's reserved. You're going through trials. This is the way this thing works. Don't lose heart. Oh, wait a minute. Let me explain something to you. You haven't seen him, but you love him. How do you get to the point where you love someone you've never seen? You do so because when that is real in your life, you see Him working in you, through you, and beyond you. And you know it's real. It's not phony. It's not a sham. It's real. The transfer of the life has went from death to life, from the grip of darkness to the power of God, from the grip of Satan to the power of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, in the lights. Do you truly, do I truly love Jesus like we claim? Is there a desperation Is there an urgency? Is there a, Jesus, you're the air I breathe. Like, take everything away from me. Don't take away Jesus. 
Is that where you and I are in the midst of our struggles? You haven't seen Him, past tense, but you love Him. Then He says this in the Bible in front of you, you do not now see Him, present tense, but what happens? You believe in Him. You believe. All right, so here's what we're going to do. From this day forward, we're getting out of this milky toast, Mickey Mouse, Americanized version of what it means to believe in Jesus. Amen? So here's what we think it means. It's this intellectual ascent of gymnastics that I just believe. That's not what's being referred to here. Matter of fact, we know from James, we studied this, that even the demons believe, and they actually go one step further. They tremble. Intellectual, emotional, but no act of the will. When you look at this word believe right here in 1 Peter, here's what it means. Write this down somewhere because starting this day going forward, when we say believe, this is what we're talking about. It means this, to commit to one's trust. To commit to one's trust. So for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever commits to Him their trust. Now that changes the whole ball game, doesn't it? We go, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Well, that's what you signed up for. This is all about being all in. Uh, not, hey, let me just kind of waffle around and when I get around to you, Jesus, I'll, I'll give you a tip and uh, occasionally check in on you. No, this is a life that's been transformed. This is a life, a wholesale exchange. As Wesley said, my life is no longer my own. You've seen this happen. I've seen this happen over the years that pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers, ushers, down the line you go, church attenders, raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, get dunked, everyone goes out to lunch. Great day, amen? And then 10 years later, 20 years later, you're like, where are they? Everyone just kind of shrugs their shoulders. I don't know. So is Jesus' power not strong enough to save them in the first place is the question. We've got to get out of this ideology that to believe in Jesus means that I just believe that He's somewhere floating around. When the Bible says that you believe in Him, it's saying this, you're taking your life and you're handing it to Him you're pushing away from the table going, I don't own me anymore. Think about this. Why do you think it says in Matthew 7, right there, so beautifully, narrow is the way that leads to life. It's difficult and few will find it. But broad, wide is the path. There is plenty of room on this wide path that many are going in by, by the troughs. For destruction. I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning. I thought about calling a few of you. I couldn't go back to sleep. It was like 3 o'clock and I thought, man, it seems like it's like 7.30. I'm so awake. And I just began to pray. You ever done that? Where you wake up and you begin to pray. I was praying hard. I was praying hard for some of you. Praying hard. Lord, just praying hard that you'll do a work. Well, you'll do something. That you'll move in power, oh God. That you'll stir in such a way. Oh, my heart is grieved on this belief topic because it's hard to give away what we ourselves don't possess. Amen. And this rejoicing that he's talking about next after that word and thought of believe and belief is an outflow. It's all an outflow. It's an outflow here, this rejoicing to be exceedingly glad. Let me read it in context. I'll put our definition on there. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him, the desperation, the dearness, 
though you do not now, present tense, see Him, you what? You've committed your life to His trust, and you rejoice with joy. That is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now think about this, church. If we're going to go back to our trials, which He dealt with in 6 and 7, we know they exist, how can we truly rejoice with an inexpressible, literally indescribable? You cannot even describe this. It's literally indescribable. How do you get there unless you first give your life to Christ? See, everything's an outflow. Everything is an outflow in my life and your life. So many people want rejoicing in their life, but they want to get it apart from Jesus. Well, I don't want to give my life to Him because that means I can't dictate what I do next, but I sure want to rejoice. Amen. The way this works is we give our life to Him in total trust. That's what it means to come to know Christ, to accept Him. It literally means to give your life to Him. When you're rescued, when it's true salvation, and that's the word there, so to be saved means to be rescued. When you get rescued from a burning building, do you keep running back into the burning building? When you get rescued from quicksand, do you go, hey, I'm going to go take another leap in there. Just hang on a second, rescuers. I mean, it doesn't make any logical sense. And all over our country today, we've got people going, I'm rescued, I'm saved, and they're jumping back in to the pit of sin. How do you do that? Well, I know how you do it. You've never truly given your life to Jesus. Doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect, but there will be a deep conviction in that life that says, I want to live for Him. And no matter who comes against me, the persecution, the lies, the deception, the slander, it doesn't even phase you because you are so dialed in on the mission to please the one that took your place. That's why key number one in your notes is so important. I want you to write this down. Key number one, write this down in your notes. True belief, not false, but true belief in Christ and true love for Christ drives true rejoicing in Christ, comma, even in the midst or even in the trials of life. Let me read that again. Key number one, write it down. True belief in Christ and true love for Christ drives. Drives what? True rejoicing in Christ, comma, even in the trials of life. Again, let me say this one more time. If you're trying to rejoice in the midst of your trials apart from Jesus, you're on a fool's errand. What will happen? Might on a surface level, but on a deep cut to the heart where I know my Redeemer lives, that you just believe it with every fiber of your being, then what will happen? What will happen? Jesus didn't get executed on a cruel Roman cross so that you and I could be partially surrendered. He didn't get executed so that we could be partially in. He's called us to be all in for Him because He was all in for us. And so often we, we miss this, especially in America, in the persecuted church, they get this. In the persecuted church, as we said before, it's a fight, not a fashion show, their faith is. It is real. They are literally on the edge every day. It is so real and dear to their heart. The change is so overwhelming that they see, they see so clearly. They see it. In the midst of my sin and challenges that my family is aware of, as God has continued to prune me and refine me, I can stand before you today as I often get asked, especially back in my travels, why are you so passionate? And I would say, here's why. In the midst 
of this mess you see before you, and it's a mess. I look over there, and I see who I used to be. And I never want to go back there again. It is so real. It is a testimony of the grace of God that I never want to be that person ever again. And it drives me with a fuel. It drives me with a passion that I want to appeal to people. I want to plead with people with desperation. Give your life to Christ today. Don't let another moment go by. But today, choose this day who you will serve. Be one of those people today, moms and dads that say, but as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. That's what happens when a life gets transformed. Not perfect yet. That day's coming. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Write down these supporting verses, church, that I pray will challenge but encourage you. Psalm 1611, if you're going through a trial right now, write down Psalm 1611. Do you guys ever get those, um, those verses that pop up on your phone, like a Bible you know, app or whatever it might be? And one came across my phone this past week, and this is one of those I've been just kind of marinating on all week long. There it is, Psalm 1611. This is a beautiful go-to in the midst of your pain today. Here it is. You, God, is what he's saying, the psalmist, make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, not apart from your presence, but in your presence, there's what? Fullness, fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's so glorious. Not in getting the, the car or the house or the bank account or the vacation or the sailboat or, or whatever else that you're dreaming for today, but just Jesus. In His presence and at His right hand are, are the pleasures I crave. What a glorious thought from God's Word. How about John chapter 20? Write down John chapter 20, 30 through 31. If you're taking your mom to lunch today, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, what's the purpose of the book of John? You're good to go. Here it is. John 20, 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But but these are written so that you may what church believe so that you church may say Jesus here's my life. Here it is. I don't want it anymore. I'm making a mess of this. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by committing your life to His trust, you may have life in His name. There it is. That's salvation. It's just not this raise the hand, say the prayer, sign the card, do the cartwheel, get dunked. Glad I got that over with. It's literally, Jesus, I'm not accepting you. I'm asking that you accept me. Do you see the humility in that? Do you see the brokenness and the contrition? What is God going to do with that life? Ooh, watch out. He's going to take that flexible, humble, coachable, teachable, soft heart, and He's going to use it for His glory. That's the book of John. How about Romans 12, 12? Write that down. For those of us that have trouble counting, that's a fairly easy one, amen? Romans 12, 12. Look at this. Rejoice, leap for joy and hope. Not wishing, crossing fingers. No, hope in Christ is what he means. Paul does in Romans. Be patient. Oh, we hate that word, don't we? I know I do. Be patient, what? In tribulation and your trials, be patient. Pump the brakes. God's working behind the scenes. He's doing something in the midst of your struggles. In the midst of your trials, he's doing something. And then what? Be constant. Be constant in prayer. Prayer births 
the revival. It's all about prayer. Be constant in it. In other words, just be steadfast. I'm in the struggle. You're in the struggle. We're in life. Again, welcome to planet earth. Here we are. What do we do? We rejoice in the difficult times. What do we do? Right there it says, it's so glorious. Be patient in them. Wait on God. What do we do? Right there is the truth of God's Word. We are constant in prayer. We have driven a dagger deep into the wellspring of our soul saying, I won't bend, I won't buckle, I won't break. I am clinging to our great God that no matter where He takes me and where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads, He feeds, where He guides, He provides. This is what our God does. In the midst of the struggles, You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. How about Romans again, 15, 13 this time? Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, there it is. The God of hope fill you, make it personal, with what? All joy and peace, tranquility to the soul. And here it is, church. In committing your life to Jesus, So that, here's the why, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may what? Abound in hope. Doesn't that just refresh your soul just reading that? Powerful Scripture. Lastly, in this section, here's Philippians 4.4, write it down. Philippians 4.4, and this rejoicing as I told you last week in tribulation, is one of my chief struggles. And the Lord is greatly speaking to me in the midst of this through His Word. So here's what Paul has written to the church in Philippi. And he says this, Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. And then he says these words, Again I say rejoice. The Hebrew language has a lot of repetition to it. In the original here, in the New Testament, there's typically not a lot of repetition. Why do you think he's repeating himself here? Any ideas rhetorically? I got a pretty good idea. He knows for people like me, rejoicing in struggles all the time, up or down, mountain or valley, low or high, does not come easy. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. Leap for joy always. Why? Because you're looking to Him. Because you see your inheritance. You see what really matters in life. And then He says, and again, I say rejoice. So where's Peter going with all this? Well, let's see what he concludes in verse 9. Look in your Bible with me. He says this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, obtaining the outcome of your faith, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. Now, church, we've got to dial in here. This last verse 9 is, is so, so critical. When Peter here uses this original word that we translate to obtain in the ESV, he's trying to paint a picture here. And the picture is this, that you literally take hold of. So picture this, so there's a obtaining, you're, you're taking possession of, you're receiving for the purpose of caring for, preserving, there's a grasping here, there's a desperation. You think about that thought, and as that taking of hold it produces something. Remember our question, what is your faith? What is my faith producing? 
It produces something right here in verse 9. Look in your Bible. It says this, obtaining, seizing, taking possession of, taking hold of with desperation. The what? The outcome, accomplishing the aim and purpose of what? Here it is. I love this. Of your faith. So put this together. Here Peter is writing. He's saying, look. True belief in Christ, key number one, going back to that, and true love for Christ, drives, it pushes, it accelerates, it gives fuel to. There's a source of movement that's propelling, is what he's saying. It drives the true rejoicing in Christ, especially in your trials. And then he goes, wait a minute, I want to reinforce this because during trials, it's so easy to miss the point, isn't it? Like Peter who would know this well, he's out on the water that one day. Remember that? And Jesus goes, hey, Pete, come here. He says, come here for a minute. I want you to walk out on this water. And Peter was doing really, really well, wasn't he? He's just cruising along, walking on water, imagining getting back to the boat with his disciples, his buddies saying, I just walked on water. It sounds like something Peter would love to do, doesn't it? to brag about him walking on water. But what happened? You know the story. Well, what happened? Was Jesus not strong enough to hold him? Was the power of Christ on that day, in the midst of that storm, as he is walking towards Christ, was Christ not powerful enough to keep Peter from sinking? That's the question we ask out loud. Is that the case? Well, we know the answer. Of course not. Our Jesus can do anything, amen? It wasn't that. It was that Peter took his eyes off Jesus and looked down at his trials. See, in the midst of the storm, that often is the greatest time to be the billboard and the sermon that your life preaches to a lost and dying world about how really great your Jesus is. And there in the midst of this, you you see this so clearly. Your faith, your unwavering conviction of the truth of the gospel. Your unwavering conviction of the truth of the gospel, the salvation, the being rescued, the being saved, being delivered from danger to safety, and also don't miss this. When that word being saved is used there as far as salvation goes, it also means this in the original, to be preserved. Now don't miss that. When a true conversion is true, it's true forever based on Scripture when it's true. How do you get truly converted? Well, you need to believe in Jesus. Class, what do we learn today it means to truly believe in Jesus? Here's my life. Take it. And Jesus says this, my sheep know me and my sheep hear my voice. We got to get out of this Americanized easy believism that I believe is sending droves of people to hell. They think they're saved. Oh, I got baptized when I was six. Great. What have you been doing since then? Not a whole lot. Okay, so that's how Jesus works. He saves people and then nothing happens. When I scour the Scriptures, I don't see any examples of that. Revival will never happen in our country till the church of Jesus Christ repents. Revival will never happen in our country till people that profess Jesus begin to live like Jesus. Revival in our country will never happen as long as there's apathy and indifference and, hey, we're good and we're floating along. It'll never happen. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting what? Different results. There's a spiritual insanity going on in our country today. And what it takes is for some bold men and women of the cross of Jesus Christ to stand in the gap, to say, if none will go, I'll be the one. 
It's going to take some men and women that claim that they're in today, but they realize they're really not in. And today's the day to say, I want to be in. I want to be in. I no longer want to do this. I don't want to walk in apathy and indifference any longer. I want to be in. Oh, how my heart breaks and weeps and is burdened. I made a note here I, on verse 9. I said this, while on earth, yes, we aim towards glorification. However, totally obtaining the outcome, the result of our faith, the salvation, the rescuing, the preserving of our souls, is when Christ is revealed on that day. In all of His splendor, all of His glory, amen. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Uh, I was at a gender reveal yesterday for my oldest um, son, and they had um, kind of like these cannon type things, you know. And uh, sure enough, they, they fired these things off, and this big blue powder went all over the place. And I'm telling you, I think you could have heard the screams in that backyard for miles. The dancing, the rejoicing, the leaping for joy. And then I began to ponder, do I do the same for the king? For some, that day is going to be the most incredible day ever. If we're still alive and He returns, what a day that will be. But my heart weeps. My heart wakes up at two and three in the morning often, weeping for those that claim they're in. But they've never given their life to Jesus. There's no way to live. Today, you can change that. You can change that today. You can say, it's for me and my house today. And maybe you're in a house today where there's, it's a mess. It's broken. My heart breaks for you. But maybe today you say, I'm going to be all in. From this day forward, I'm in. I'm going to make a difference. I was thinking about key number two, our, our last key, and I believe it expounds on this thought. Salvation is not fire insurance for a life that has never truly been given to Christ. Write it down, key number two. Salvation is not fire insurance for a life that has never truly been given to Christ. I've alluded to this just a moment ago, but I take my responsibility with the utmost seriousness. I know that I will be judged more strictly is what the Bible says. And secondly, Jesus gave His all for me. How can I not give my all back to Him? Processing that thought. You know, there are many, and perhaps in here, maybe you're playing games with God is the reality. There's an old phrase that goes like this. Eternity is way too long to be wrong. I just wonder today what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and I right now. He's moving, he's stirring. Because I believe in these years of ministry, the number one still to this day reason for misconception about salvation among professing believers, that is, among professing believers is this false narrative, this false belief that Scripture refers to salvation as just mentally, intellectually believing. And then, boom, period. 
We've already read from God's Word how untrue that is. But it's a much easier approach, isn't it? It's a lot easier to surrender some than to surrender all. So from God's Word, as we work down the backside of this mountain, I want to give you some Scriptures. I want you to write down Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. And you've got to remember, a true salvation is a call to abandon everything. Renounce and abandon everything for the cause of the gospel. And Jesus did not die and was brutally beaten and whipped and marred beyond recognition so that you and I could live in cultural Christianity. It's not why He died. He died for those that would truly come to faith, truly give their life to Him. And for those who say, that's me, I'm in, who the Son sets free is not partially free. Who the Son sets free is not temporarily free. Who the Son sets free is forever free. You say, well, what did Jesus mean by this giving our lives to Him? Well, here it is, Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. And Jesus, by the way, He was not afraid to speak truth regardless of what the crowd might do. Amen? Well, here's what He said as Luke recounts. Luke says this, Now great crowds accompanied Him. So get this picture, okay? So by the way, when great crowds were following Jesus, it wasn't like, you know, seven people. I mean, we're talking like early American megachurch following you everywhere you go. I mean, droves. So that's the picture I want you to get here because when you, would, when you hear what Jesus does next, for some of us it may rock our worlds, but this is a mega church, so to speak, following Him. Now for most pastors, you get a bunch of people, you go, wait a minute, let's not do anything or say anything that's going to tick anyone off because we don't want to mess this thing up, amen? Well, that's not how Jesus rolled. Here's what He did. Now great crowds accompanied Him And he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, sorry mothers, bad illustration on Mother's Day, I get it, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm going to let that sink in for a minute here, okay? We're going to explain this, but let this sink in. This is God's Word. We're just reading God's Word. He goes on. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, come after me, cannot be my disciple. Now, he explains. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. 29. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, there's so many foundations right now being laid that are worthless. When he's laid a foundation, he's not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 31. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Here it is, 33, last verse. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce does not abandon all that he has, cannot be my disciple. This one short text that very rarely gets preached is a glaring example of the high cost of true discipleship. In a few short verses, three times he says, If you do this or don't do this, you can't be mine. 
and Jesus again, mega church following him, he says, look, I don't want you to, from a numerical standpoint, to go, things are going great. He's like, I want to make sure the motive of your heart is pure. Is he saying that you're supposed to go hate your parents? Here's what he means. Jesus, everything else. Jesus over here, everything else over here. And there should be, going back to 1 Peter, such a love, such a deep, deep, desperate longing for Him in our lives as we believe, as we commit our lives to Him, that what happens in this equation, here's Jesus, and here's everything else. And we go, Jesus, all day long. There should be that kind of intense love and devotion that He's all we need. He's all we want. He's our everything. And yet it's so easy in America to have Jesus not be our everything, but for Jesus to be just one of our things. You say, okay, I'm starting to get this, but give me more. Those are the greatest words a preacher can ever hear, amen? John 6, write it down, our last section of verses. Here it is, John 6. And this is going to be tough for some, but we're going to read God's Word and rest in it and trust it. John 6, 64 through 71. John 6, 64 through 71. But there are some of you, this is Jesus speaking, who do not believe. There are some of you, Jesus is saying, that you have never given your life to me. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, who did not give their lives to him, and who it was who would betray him. Look at 65. And he said, this is why I told you, buckle up, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Hmm. Wow. Just marinate on that one for a minute. Let that sink in. So now that Jesus lays down the gauntlet, look at 66, the response. After this, not before this, not during this, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. Now, this is very key, church. Listen very carefully here. The word disciple here is not referring to a true believer who has given their life to Christ. It's referring here to someone who's following Jesus around. Here's the point. Just like in our day, it happened in his day, there's people going, man, I'm in the club. This is awesome. This is great. Jesus goes, well, here's the expectations. And they're like, man, we're out of here. And by the way, did you notice the verse here? John 6, 66. There's some disciples going, man, this is just too much. There's too much pain in this offering. You were great. Love the miracles. Way to go. Amazing. We're not following you anymore. We're going home. When Jesus truly invades someone's life and that life gets handed over to Him, we could spend hours from Scripture seeking and determining that for those who truly give their life to Christ, they are sealed for the day of redemption when it's real. When it's false... When it's phony, it will be exposed for what it is. What's he go on and say in 67? So Jesus said to the 12, I mean, you think he'd kind of back off after that one, right? And go, you know what? This is a little painful. Let's just kind of step away. He goes, no, wait a minute. We're going to dig deeper. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? I mean, this guy's bold, isn't he? His following is leaving him. 
And to be so tempted to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, here, come back here, come, wait a minute, what do you want? How do you want to make it easier for you? What are you not getting that you really want? How can we do what you'd like us to do? No, Jesus goes, okay, go, see ya. And then he looks at the 12 and goes, do you guys want to go away as well? And then Peter pipes up, surprise, surprise, Peter of all people. <laughs> what does Peter say? Peter says something amazing. Lord, to whom shall we go? What an incredible statement in Scripture. There's a high cost of discipleship. When we believe in Christ, we're giving our lives away for His glory. Jesus wants true disciples, not false ones. He turns to the mega church following and says, look, what's the motive here? What's really going on? Many disciples leave, they disband. He looks at the 12 and goes, you know what, I've already thinned this crowd. Let me see if I need to thin the smaller one as well. Peter goes, but where shall we go? Whom shall we go to? Jesus, you're the one that has the words of life. So many people today are are wondering where they're going to go next. It's Jesus and Him alone that has the words of life. And what happens? Well, you see in your Bible, I love what He says, 69, and we have believed, and we have given our lives to you, Jesus, and we've come to know you. It signifies intimacy. It's just too easy in the American church culture to live on the surface of Jesus, isn't it? It's kind of on the surface, kind of floating around like in a rowboat, going around in circles with one oar. No, no, Peter goes, we've believed, we've given ourselves to you, and oh, we we know you. There's a precious intimacy. We not only, Jesus, we not only understand and deeply believe in You, but we know that You right there are the Son of the living God, the Holy One. And then Jesus, 70, answers them, did I not choose You, the twelve? Interesting. Think about this. So if Jesus doesn't divinely select the twelve... On the night he's going to be betrayed, is he crossing his fingers hoping someone's going to betray him? Well, I go to the cross, and the way I get there is one of the disciples has to betray me, and okay, we're just hoping this works out. Of course not. I mean, just think through this deductively. We've got to be people that are, are self-feeders of God's Word. You want to get in the Scriptures and mine them and dig them and put them on the tablet of your heart and what happens? You see that, that Judas, his name is mentioned. Well, there it is. Look at that. Right there in the concluding verse, 71. Actually, back up to 70. And yet one of you is the devil. Not a good nickname. Amen? 71, speaking of Judas, the devil, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Hmm. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I find it interesting in my study that Judas was the only disciple that was not from Galilee. Kind of a side note there. Interesting. See, truth is not offensive to those who've truly given their life to Jesus. It may sting at first, but long term it's welcomed. But to those who've never truly given their life to Christ, truth, mm, it makes people incensed. Why? Well, John 3, 17 and following tells us, not on the screen or in your notes. It says this, that men love the darkness rather than light, lest their evil deeds be exposed. See, light exposes darkness. When you're walking in the light, you're like, hey, this is great. When you're walking in darkness, you want to continue to slither around. 
and do everything it can to fly under the radar to not be exposed. Question for you today, what is your faith producing? I mean, truthfully, what's it producing? What's it doing? That's why our takeaway question is this. If I profess to have given my life to Jesus, how is He currently changing me? Question mark. If I profess to have given my life to Jesus, how is He currently changing me? Uh, here's maybe another way to ask it. That We know this from Hebrews 12, that for those the Lord loves, He chastens. So are you and I, if we profess to be true believers, are we welcoming His chastening, His correction, His refining, His pruning? Do we welcome that? It hurts, it stings, but do we go, He loves me enough that He wants to make me more like His Son? See, every true believer right here should be a missionary, should be missional, and should be on mission. Every true believer, if you're here today and you've given your life to Christ, you should be a missionary for the gospel wherever you go. You should be the best employee at your work. They're early, staying late, putting in extra hours, working hard, encouraging your team. You're a missionary at the workplace. You are professing Jesus as you live. We should be missional on that mission there as a church. That's what the true believer does, and that's why the action step is so, so paramount, because maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not all in. Maybe that's the reality. There are people I've known that for decades have attended church, and the reality is they've never given their life to Christ. Never done it. It's never happened. Maybe today's your day. I pray it is. I pray today's your day. You're like, man, I'm all in. I'm giving my life to Jesus on this day. Action step. Starting today. I will live each day with my yes on the table. Starting today, I will live each day with my yes on the table. It's not an original saying. You hear it all the time, but it's open-handed saying, God, what do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? Where do you want to take me? How can I advance the gospel through my life? What can I do today to be on your mission? My yes is on the table no matter what you want me to do, I've already said yes. That's so cool, isn't it? Because when he then asks you to do something, there's no longer the tug of war. Well, I really don't want to do it. No, I've already said I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. It frees you from that bondage. See, church, hear this last thought. It's impossible, church, it's impossible to give your life to Jesus and somehow also reject him. You can't do that. So you've either given your life to Him or you're living in rejection to Him. So my appeal to you today, through Peter, oh, I pray that we hear these words so, so deeply as I read them one more time. 1 Peter 1, 8-9, though you have not seen Him, past tense, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, present tense, you believe in Him. You've given your life to Jesus. And you rejoice with joy that cannot even be explained. And you're filled with glory, doxa, where we get our doxology. Obtaining, holding on to, clinging to the result of our faith in the gospel, which is the rescue and the salvation of our souls, which is preserved forever in Jesus Christ. Amen? What a glorious thought. And I pray that if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus. Oh, I pray that this will be your day. Lord, we come before you in this time. Lord, we, we live in a culture and in a country that is so turned upside down in almost every realm. And so, Lord, I just ask, would you, would you move in this place today? Father, I pray that as you stir and as you woo and as you draw, don't allow us to rebel. Don't allow us to dig in our heels. Don't allow us to shake our fists at you any longer, God. Pray today for soft, tender, humble hearts all over this room.
would move in power. There's so many people right here around our church that desperately need you. And God, I pray. I pray with every tear in my eye right now, Lord. Would you just do something that only you can do so that when you do it, we'll all stand back and say, wow, look at how great our God really is. Father, for the one who's never given their life, I pray they'll step out right now. Lord, for the one who's never truly surrendered their life to you, I pray they'll step out right now. God, for the one who's backslidden and, boy, they're playing with fire. I pray they'll step out right now and repent. Oh, God, I pray, stir in those hearts. Lord, do what only you can do. Find us obedient. Don't allow us any longer to surrender some. But I pray right now, from this moment forward, I and we, will be on mission each and every day to surrender all for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend This Day in the Word.